I'm Jason. And I'm Luke. We're the guys from that film studio, and this is our latest review, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Written and directed by James Gunn, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is the superhero film based on the Marvel Comics superhero team of the same name. It is the final installment in the Guardians of the Galaxy film trilogy, the sequel to Volume 1 from 2014, Volume 2 from 2017, and the 32nd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The film is in cinemas now, but if you haven't watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 yet and you want to, Go watch it first before listening to our full review. We will be talking spoilers. Before we get into it, make sure you subscribe and download this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find us, and feel free to leave us a review. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as That Film's Due Podcast. So, Luke, what is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 all about? Still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill, played by Chris Pratt, must rally his team to defend the universe and protect Rocket, voiced by Bradley Cooper, from the Eye Evolutionary, played by Chakwudi Awuji. All right, so we've been on a bit of a journey with the with the Guardians, all starting, you know, as you said, back in 2014 with the a relatively new. Um, you know, Marvel property characters, IP, all that kind of stuff. A bit of a gamble in terms of this is a bit of an odd choice, you know, following Iron Man, Hulk, Captain America, Thor, you know, the big hitters, Guardians of the Galaxy. Who are these people? Big hit, crazy surprise, L- beloved characters that we've grown to to know. Um, I think we can say universally between the two of us, we've both liked or loved the the Guardians films. The second one obviously had a little bit of, you know, maybe a little bit of a dip in terms of, you know, where that first one was, but overall still very good films. Now we have this third one. We've had the Guardians in like Avengers Infinity War, Endgame, that Christmas special. This one here, the third one, very much a, a finale of sorts, a send-off. Uh, we've had James Gunn at the helm the whole time, except for the the you know the appearances in the Avengers movies. But here we are, the third Guardians film. Yeah, I think it's safe to say. Well, I will say this. Now, obviously, we're not at the point where we're giving our rating, but I'll say this now: Guardians. What, what did we say? Thirty-second film, MCU. A few characters have got to the point where they've had a trilogy. Guardians do have the best trilogy. You mentioned that little dip that volume two has. I think I had a better time with that film more than you did, but even with a dip, it's a solid trilogy. And you've got the the Christmas special as well. And having James Gunn as the writer and director of all the Guardians films and the special, it really does show doesn't it because like tonally he's doing here what he's done across all three films like it gets very silly there's lots of laughs there's great action there's genuine heart like he's always had that in his films and it just it fits together as such a solid trilogy because if you look at a character like thor who is now on his fourth film thor one thor four wow (laughs) <laughs> the journey I mean, even, that character's been on 
even the most consistent of of tones like uh, i'd probably say like the, the spider-man films pretty consistent in tone and number three of a huge movie but you know had some thoughts um captain america i've enjoyed all three captain america films but they're all very different. So there's yeah. sort of a bit of an inconsistency there, although still very good films. I might still say that's probably the best trilogy in the MCU, but we'll see. Maybe by the end of this discussion here, I'll, I'll sway in a different direction. But it's definitely, yeah, I'm happy to say that right now, like this is a strong three set of films because of this one. So I've already, yep, again, showing my hand. No, me too. This is a good film. Yeah. And, and look, Let's let's be honest. I know I've I've probably been a little bit more vocal in terms of my, my feelings, especially on the TV side. But post Endgame, the MCU, we've had some we've had some decent films and ones that I've enjoyed. Have I felt the same about the MCU and what they've been putting out? You know, from the first compared to the first ten years of what they were doing. No, like I've enjoyed what they've I've enjoyed certain things of what they've been doing, but there's been some movies especially where it's just like, oh, this is not, there's something a little bit different. It feels, it feels like it's missing something, maybe like, I don't know, magic, joy, love. And what's great about what James Gunn has done with the Guardians films, and in this one is no exception, is that you can feel that this isn't just some byproduct of a, of a churned, you know, mass production machine empire thing. This is, this is something where he's actually crafted. He's put, and I don't know there's obviously, hundreds of other people that have put their heart and soul into this but you can feel it and obviously guns at the at the the forefront of it all but yeah this is i'm happy to say a return to a return to form a return to the magic absolutely can, uh, it's, it's especially coming off ant-man quantumania or ant-man and the wasp sorry can't the thing is though with with that one right Be- because the film's the- there's been yes, there's been something missing. Like if we go back to where it all started, it Iron the Man, they had hmm. such a good run. And building something like Endgame, it's like, well, where do you go next? And obviously we've been finding out where we're gonna go next. But with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, I found it funny. I had a good time. And I say to people, <laughs> it's a comedy first, it's a superhero. Action adventure yeah. second, and I found myself enjoying it. And you know, I gave it a good review on here, and I still need to see it a second time. But I feel like because I enjoyed that more than I had done recent MCU films, I probably leaned more into the positive category for it. Like, hey, you know, I actually had a good time with this. There was some laughs, there was some action. Then watching this film, you're reminded what the what the MCU is capable of. And it's like, ah, oh, this is doing, this is doing everything. Like there's mm. not, it's just every, on every level. And, you know, it's, it was always going to pull at the heartstrings. We knew from that first trailer, it was going to focus heavily on Rocket. It had been alluded to in the previous films, what he'd gone through before he'd met the Guardians. But wow, they, they nailed it. They, it's, it was doing so much. And I think the runtime, I think it was like, what, close to two and a half hours. 
It was, it was about that, yeah, because oh, when you've got to get babysitters involved to, to take on a movie, <laughs> right. it's, uh, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll be back at about... <laughs> Honestly? Yeah, give us three hours, we'll be back. But, I had no idea. No, this I, is, I, it wasn't it, until afterwards, I saw it written down somewhere, I was like, wow, I did not feel like I was sat down watching a two-and-a-half-hour movie. It had such yeah, a brisk pace. And it's because there's so much energy and there's so much happening but it's not overwhelming and it doesn't drag. It just finds this nice balance. And it's it's very rare that I can sit here and talk about a movie that, you know, like tonal balance, um, when you're comparing things of the comedy, the, you know, the emotion, the action, you know, action sequences aren't mind numbing or dragging. There's not like, okay, this is, you know, it, the comedy's working. And I think this is probably... You, you know, like compare it to, I compare it mostly to that first Guardians film where I feel like they really nailed the balance of the comedy. It wasn't just like quippy, everyone had quips. It was, it was reserved. And then there was the more serious stuff. In that second film, it was sort of like everybody gets to have a crack at, at jokes, especially like what how they were handling, you know, Drax as a character it was like oh he's just a jukebox of of one-liners that's his thing now here I think they did sort of revert back to again reverting back to form of just finding that balance and it's like yeah. the comedy worked because it was it was reserved it was in small small doses and I feel like it's almost like a like an orchestra of like hey here's the here's the comedic beats and they let it play for long enough to then be like, here's some emotional stuff. They're pushing that a certain way. Th- things work. I'm not saying this is yeah. a perfect movie, but it no, just, no, it but just, just felt it felt good. Yeah, but it felt what right watching it? What you were just saying there, using Drax as an example, because he because he is a very good example of what they're doing with these films and with these characters. So you're right, Drax, just like in those previous films, played for laughs. We get a lot of humor out of Drax. A lot of sadness in that second movie when he was bonding with Mantis and he was talking about his family and the loss of his daughter. And then this movie, you know, you've got all the all the jokes again. You know, he's got that snack. Mantis wants some, but he refuses. And that's because in the Christmas special, she she ate his stash. So he purposely, and this is the thing, like anyone out there who thinks that Christmas special doesn't count and you don't need to watch it, absolutely go and watch that special. But with what they're doing with Drax here, so you've got all those comedic beats, but then the final note on his character is that Drax, you were never a destroyer. You're a father or you're a dad. You're like, oh my God. They bring it back. They bring it back. (laughs) Yeah, they do. And it's it's not... But it's yeah. not clunky. Like, do you know, it just, it it flows. Like, the, the writing, it, and again, the comedy beats, the action beats. James Gunn is so vocal online. Like, if you follow him on Twitter, <laughs> in fact, even if you don't follow him on Twitter, you don't need to because you'll still see him pop up in your on your feed because he's so prolific and everyone's commenting, sharing, or whatever else. But people go on the attack saying things like, your films are just one thing. They're not very good. They're just this one thing. And it's like, you clearly haven't been paying attention because James Gunn never does just one thing. You know, his Guardians films, films outside of the MCU, like he's always 
doing more than one thing, but he gets criticised for just being that one thing. And look, I mean, you got to give him credit. Like these are movies that he's he's having to juggle multiple characters, doing different things and exploring different, you know, there's certain different relationships, storylines. I just feel like they all had a nice again balance is that is that word even characters like and we'll get to me are craglin and cosmo you know like it wasn't just played for laughs here's a throwaway little like scenes with them it was like a nice little sub story there that sort of had a purpose like the characters weren't just there doing something there was like oh okay there's there's something here it's it's there's just all these things happening and at the same time the feat of kind of almost bringing a conclusion to everyone's sort of story arcs. I mean, not 100%, but a natural sort of fitting of, okay, cool. By the time we get to the end of it, it's like, all right, these characters are going in different directions. This is being set up here. This character is going over there. That character's, you know, realize something in themselves. And then you're left with the feeling of like, hell, I'm going to miss these guys because it's been... It's been a nice little journey. And I think that's the best feeling to take away from it. It's just like to genuinely feel like, oh, like bittersweet, you know, like, wow, what an ending. But also, yeah, I'm going to miss them. Like, and I know we'll see them again in, in various different ways, but it's just like, yeah, as it is, it was a it was a good little combo. Yeah, definitely. But watching it, knowing that this, I mean, we all know James Gunn, Warner Brothers, DC, all of that. He came back, finished his Guardians trilogy for Marvel. But we knew this was going to be the final film. I mean, you hear it often. like This is going to be the final film, and then it isn't. You definitely felt going into this that it really was going to be the final film, at least this version of the characters. Because, again, like James Gunn is not just a writer, he's... he's it's the director, you know, he's doing all the all these things. He's such an integral part of these Guardians films that you knew that we we're going to get some real closure. Yeah. I've got to be honest, I did. I felt, I felt a bit anxious as I was watching it because you're right. We've come to know and love these characters, and you know, we're comic guys. I didn't know too much about Guardians of the Galaxy until these films. I've read some comics since, but my main knowledge still comes from these films so i had a feeling that they were going to go out with a bang and we were going to see characters die and i really didn't want to see them die because on one hand it's like but you want stakes you want you want drama on the other hand no i'm okay just give me some fun action some funny quips and have the guardians live (laughs) (laughs) when was the last time you watched an mcu film in particular and then and actually had the the real feeling of wow there's a there's a threat here characters could die no like, i mean look at um doctor strange I mean, they didn't, in they the didn't multiverse of madness <laughs> no but doctor strange <laughs> really enjoyed it but then there was a consequence at the end of that film where strange was horrified to have that third eye post credit scene he's got the third eye jumping into action to save the day oh okay so that <laughs> drama didn't <laughs> Didn't last long. Didn't really last. But um, but this one though, yeah, now the characters, yeah, the characters survive. And I'm so I mean, glad. Do. I'm so glad that they do. And look, 
going back and watching it a second time, it'll be different because it will be a case of, well, I know they all survive. But watching it the first time, not knowing what could happen, I genuinely thought at multiple times, I was like, oh, that character's going. Oh, that character's gone. Like, Me too. Oh, when when Drax got shot, like on that, I was like, he's... But that could have been the end. And it, and it, made, it, more, it, made, it, it made it more exciting. I mean, you know, David Batista, he said on many occasions, like he's got to the point in his career now and a point in his life where he doesn't necessarily want to be taking his top off for a role. Like, you know, it's mm. getting harder and harder for him to keep in that shape. He's been very vocal, like the other cast members have. Like, you know, this is it. Although, the end of the movie, we do get the legendary Star-Lord will return. Oh, yeah, that's and... interesting. They didn't say no, Peter Quill, though. Oh, of course, he's, he's Star-Lord. But they don't call him Star-Lord in this movie. And he is Peter Quill, so who knows? Oh, no. no Nebula calls him that. And there's a, there's really? A thing about, like, yeah, and he says, oh, she only calls me that when she's angry at me. Oh, you're right. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. No mask. He's not got his jet boots. I don't know. That would have really come in handy, actually, the mask, you know, and he's floating in space, and Adam Warlock had to go yeah. and save him. Adam Warlock saving him, very predictable, happy it happened. Caglin I mean, and it Cosmo. Made, it would have made no sense if he didn't, because he's literally standing there and he can fly. <laughs> yeah, I know, but do you know what I mean? But there's certain things that are very predictable, yeah. but when they do happen, you're happy that they did, that they did happen. But, yeah, we're just going to say that we've... Uh, Craglin and Cosmo, that whole thing of like, you know, I am a good dog. I am a good dog. Like, you're like, well, clearly there's going to be a moment where he needs her and she's going to use yeah. her telekinesis to rescue him. And then it happens and it's like, yeah, great. Like, <laughs> it was a good moment. But how, it's what I was thinking, like, you know, I mean, you don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but exactly as you said, like, there will be a moment where Cosmos will have to do something and, Craglin will say, yeah, it will acknowledge that it's like, look, you are a good dog. And when it happens, it's just so satisfying. You're just like, yes. It's, it's, it's a, a it dog. Is a, I and know. People love dogs and we're suckers. I mean, they, they, they're, they're at nowhere, which is the Guardian's base in the head of a dead celestial, which is all very high concept sci fi and everything else. But relatable because that moment man and his dog <laughs> like man's best friend it's just yeah. you know the, the movie's so relatable even though we're looking at you know again this big celestial flying head on that exactly the base like nowhere if i'm honest just like because you know we, we've seen it already in the in the christmas special yeah it looks like they're on a stage it does it looks fantastic but it looks like they're on a stage, and I, and I really like it. Like it's not just green it's screen. Probably the it's probably the only part of the movie that does feel like that, though. And I think that works because it is. It's like homely because it's like it's where they live. It's oh, it works live. completely. I really love it because it's so interactive. They can go in and out of doorways that you can see that it says oh, like yeah, it's a massive set. Like it does feel like a set, but it's a massive one. Oh, but every it looks other, incredible. Every other set piece, every other set piece that they, you know, whether it's a different a planet or like a you know the different hub space station all that kind of stuff everything feels very and this is where like comparisons to what we saw in you know quantumania it just felt 
bigger, better. Like it felt it does, more yeah. cinematic, and it's just like, oh yeah, this is like like this is a yeah. I paid a tick. I paid money to see this film rather than like oh this CGI backdrop thing that. Yeah, well, anyway, Quantumania. How easy was it people for people online to make comparisons to Spy Kids? Like saying, look, exactly. this thing looks like that thing. Where is it was true to it? Which is, but this though, is no, it it again. I'm saying it looks like a set, but not in a bad way. Like it looks like they're there, they can interact, and yeah, like I say, and it's a really big, it's quite cool. It, yeah, very, very, very cool. By doing that, it, it kind of makes it look real because it's like that could be a place I could go to, and I could run around there, and I could climb up there <laughs> and, and do stuff. You know, I've got a little yeah, fact here. The movie holds the world record. For most prosthetics used in a film with 22,500. The record was previously held by How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim, Jim Carrey movie. I mean, the wow. lot oh, because every, to, every who had a. Yeah, whereas on this, like if you're, you're seeing aliens, you know, whether it's New Earth or what do you call it, Counter Earth, or it's nowhere like prosthetics. And no, we talked negatively about previous Marvel films, the overuse of CG, whether it be, I mean, Thor's helmet in Love and Thunder is still a shocker. I hate seeing Sometimes that. practical just serves a, a better purpose. And look, you know, like when we, when we get to Counter, I think you've got like the animal humanoid type creatures. Look, do they look like people in suits? Yeah, look, a little bit. But whatever, <laughs> it works, and it, again, it kind of fits into the. And this is not a bad thing. The goofy tone of these films. It's just like we're dealing with a bonkers kind of just thing, just circumstance. <laughs> it also makes you think of Star Wars. It's what we got: Star Wars, seventies, eighties, Ewoks and Jedi. You know, it's. It's There's nothing wrong with people puppet, in, you know. There no, and it's nothing. people in costumes and yeah. and puppets, and it it does it does work. I'd rather that than a CG character uh, all the way. Yeah. You know, just to change gears a little bit here. So you mentioned the the like the Christmas special, and hey, look, that might not be something that everyone's watched and checked out. And obviously, there's a key piece of you know development information that's dropped there, and that's the fact that you know Peter and mantis are technically siblings because they're both offspring of of ego um what i liked in this movie is that they addressed it they did mention it a few times but it didn't play a part in this film that if you hadn't seen that movie it would have been like oh why are these characters acting like this now or why is this gone so it still played as if you didn't need that thing so it does. The throwaway line obviously yeah. would would make you go, what? But, but if you do know though, it didn't you, affect the actual. Yeah, yeah. But knowing that, you do buy into Mantis's motivations more because it, it means so much to 100%. her. Yeah, you get that he has closure and he goes home. He's got a relative that he's not seen. His grandfather, and then it turns out he was misremembering. What actually happened? Like he thought that his granddad pushed him out the room as a child, didn't want him to be there, whereas it was more looking out for Peter, and he was the one that put the Walkman in his bag in the first place. And I was been missing his grandson. 
so there's all that hap- that was happening back on Earth, starting in that first movie. But yeah, it was important for Mantis that he finds some closure and some happiness. Yeah. Ah, it's good stuff. So you, again, you get those extra layers, but again, you also don't necessarily need it. It still works. But you mentioned the Walkman. That's my segue into the music. These films, the music has been as much of a character as Star-Lord, Gamora, Rocket, all of that. Here, they're doing it again. We get a bit more of a '90s flavor um, with this with this film. Um, I give him another big tick. Um, I think the the songs are working. You know, like can I sit here and say, "Oh, look, which which film has the better soundtrack?" It'd probably just go one, two, three <laughs> in that order. The, the first movie just had some bangers, and I love the callback to the that you know that song from the first film. You know as we go into the credits but yeah the the music in this in this thing just like lots of lots of key little thing lots of memories of when i think back to this movie that i watched like a week ago it's those musical moments that are triggering first before i think of all the other stuff because it's just that powerful the music choices are perfect you know across all all three films really like them but they it is it's very, it's very different, isn't it, to the, to the other MCU films, and that's okay to have a point of difference. But mm-hmm. because, like, a lot of them, they're so well known, like the the songs, and, and they do momentarily pull me out of it a little bit because I'm, I'm like, oh, and I start listening to the song, and I'm not like, I'm still watching the movie, right? Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. yeah where is? I don't know, all the other things in the movie, like I'm fully invested, I'm watching, but the songs occasionally will just break my attention a little bit. That might just be me, but just because, oh, cool, I like this song, and then I'm listening to the well, song, usually, and, oh, there's a movie still going on. I mean, usually they're playing over moments of, you know, there's no, there's very few dialogue, or it's a montage-type kind of sequence, or it's a very... Like it's a it's a it's a very intense action sequence where there's lots of stuff going on. So I don't know. It always works for me, but I completely understand where we come from with that. But um, I just wanted to say big tick for me. So um, as much as this movie is obviously very fun, um, and you know the emotional bits, you know we're in there, and we're just like, yeah, this is you know cool, cool, cool. We're saying goodbye to you know these friends that we've made, um. The movie gets pretty dark fairly early on as well. Oh, <laughs> this, yeah, throughout. very, very dark. Like we've, yeah, Rocket's friends. You know the the opening titles, and you see Linda Cardellini. My first thought was Hawkeye's wife. How are they? <laughs> how are they going to fit out here? And then yeah. you're introduced to Lila, the the otter creature. And as soon as Lila opens her mouth, ah, oh, there she is. There's Linda Cardellini. There's no the mistake thing. in they that can, voice. They can repeat using, they can bring back existing um, actors from the MCU, give them a voice role. Like, I, they did do it in, I can't believe we keep referencing this movie, but they did it in Quantumania. The, the guy from Ant Man. Yes. Oh, he's so Mustard, good. Master. Uh, yes. Polka Dot Man from Bloody. <laughs> This is another James Bond movie, but from DC. Yeah, I know he. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel bad, but I, yeah, I know who you're talking about. But yeah, he came back 
but it's a different character. What's interesting with Linda Cardellini, though, she goes back to Scooby-Doo. The, you know, I'm not sure if you wrote the yeah. second one, but James Gunn wrote that first live action. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Scooby-Doo film. That's, That's where they first yeah. worked together. Sorry, I've derailed where you were going to go because, yeah, this film, dark places, like animal <laughs> testing to the extreme. And do you know what? High evolutionary. What they've done with this film, they've gone, do you know what? We're going to make an evil villain with no redeemable qualities. Like, this is not a character that they'd plan on, you know, becoming a good guy, <laughs> later down the track. Like, this is one evil yeah. guy. Like, they made no effort to make it. Oh, but, you know, it's not all bad. No, he is. And I thought that I was mean, great. It might have been, like, the second flashback, or maybe the third or something, where it kind of seemed like, oh, he might have a bit of a soft spot for Rocket, and... You know, and then we might see a few other shades of him, that, and then not nah, like, it, yeah, it, it gets pretty dark. So I mean, with these little creatures, they're cute. Obviously, like they've got some mechanical bits and pieces all happening to them, so it's all kind of just like a bit grim. I mean, any anyone who's squirmish when it comes to any sort of animal cruelty probably ain't gonna like what's going on. <laughs> what's going on here? People have been talking a lot about like there should be like a, a trigger warning thing at the beginning, and it's just like no, because like they, no, if that's a slippery slope. They'd have to start putting them in front of every other movie. It's not that bad, but obviously it is pretty grim. Um, and I mean, look, if you was anyone thinking that these animals were going to survive? I mean, going by the fact that Rocket obviously has nothing to do with them in the future. I mean, it could have gone in a different direction, but yeah, when when it was like let's break out of here, I was like, this ain't going to go good. And it and it doesn't, and you see animals getting shot in the head. So <laughs> that's the thing; it's worse, though, isn't it? Because you're right; you do think this is not going to go good, but then mm. when it when it actually unfolds, it's much worse than what you thought it was going to be. Because <laughs> you, you're right; it's pretty, it's pretty horrific. But they really did a good job of like just cutting back and just getting Rocket, and he was just com- a complete different character. Well, they- for the most part in this movie, like in the in the more present time, like Rocket's essentially sidelined. He's taken out by Adam Warlock. We'll get to that. Um, and so you spend the most like half of this movie being like, he's not with the team. He's you know strapped to a bed, being all scanned. He's dying. That's happening. So it's sort of like, oh, we don't see Rocket in the action until the second half of the film when he's, you know, he's all back and good. So I'm glad we did get him towards the end, but I was a little bit like, oh, like they've really sidelined him, but for the sake of this movie is going to really focus on him and give us his in-depth journey. And, and what a journey, which leads us into the high evolutionary, as you said, look, my, my take on him was like, I did enjoy him as a, as just one of those, asshole villains that you just love to hate because he was really pulling that up i think they could have maybe this is the worst pun but peel back just because of his face um, just peel back a little bit on like he yells a lot and i feel like because he did it so much it kind of took away from like the power of that like i think if it was a little bit more reserved it could have yeah. been like when he's really going off it, it would, it would have been more impactful. 
but I find like every scene it was sort of like he was yelling about something. Bring me whatever. Not always yelling. No, no, he had, he he had mo- no, not always. He did have his quieter moments, but pretty. for me though, I didn't. Again, working for me as a villain, and yeah, okay, he was a bit shouty. But he was just all bad. He was just a bad guy. Yeah. With his stretched face reminded me a little bit of F movie Abraham, Star Trek Insurrection. Remember that? With the yeah. people on the planet were aging and stretching the faces. He reminded me a bit oh, right. of that. But really working for me. And just in those quieter moments, it's before he reveals his true self to Rocket when he's still using Rocket and he's got yeah. quieter moments with him. And you, you do think that they are generally bonding, but no, like there's a means to an end. Like he just wants Rocket's brain yeah. essentially to find out what's it's different pretty, about him. It's a pretty kind of crazy, again, like concept and just what's driving this character. Like he wants to create the, like the perfect species, like the perfect life form. Um, and what he's created in Rocket, like there's something about Rocket's mind that is almost surpassed, like it's surpassed the creator's mind and he can't handle that. And he's just like, I need to understand how I've created this. And the fact that that thing is, is more intelligent than him, like it just, he just can't handle it. And again, and that's else, why it's coming undone because he's like seen... <laughs> he sees himself as doing something that God couldn't do. So he's like a new God yeah. and something that well, he created, something he created, Rocket shouldn't know more than him. Yeah. So he just, it's Bibles yeah. and occasionally shouts. I'll give you that. I do like the fact that we did get to see, I'm just going to call it a, we saw a Ninja Turtle. Like <laughs> when he has that turtle and he's like, watch what I'm going to oh, do. When it, like, when it mutates. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, he's gonna make a ninja turtle. <laughs> and yeah. Hey, it it looked like one of those monsters from that Michael Secret Mason of the Ooze. Oh no, I was thinking more of a creature from Secret of the Ooze. I think it looked a bit oh right. Yeah, all the Michael Bay ah, films just, as well. But yeah, just the monstrosities of the turtle designs there. But you know, you were not a ninja turtle. You were talking about the the music before and um, the score. I thought the score was great. They've always oh, yeah, yeah. Um, had a good score across all three films. And I thought it interesting because you're right for the most part, like present day Rocket was sidelined. They really held off giving us the Guardians theme and they didn't give it too much really. But when they did, it's when Rocket was back. He was wearing the Guardian uh, outfit the first time they've worn that in these films yeah. or in this film. And when he was firing on the enemy, Rocket got the theme. I did like that. Yeah, that's cool. It was a, that it was a good use of where, the score. You know that sequence where they're 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 breaking in and it's it's like it's all one shot without it cutting for what felt like it felt like half an hour, but it was like five minutes. It might not have been that long. Fantastic scene. Like I loved that moment. It's just like that pure like Guardians action taking people out and a lot then, of fun what about the yeah, the plan visually amazing peter kept referring to the plan as the face-off plan and they literally end the action sequence or the third act with the high evolutionary having his face off i thought that was great <laughs> it was a good plan. i mean i feel like i was expecting an actual verbal joke about that fact but it was more a visual thing so 
for us to come together with <laughs> come to that conclusion rather than it being spelled out to us. So I appreciated that. It's it's good. All right. So what are the main uh, like one of the main big chunks of the movie is when we get to when we get to Counter Earth, we've got as you mentioned, you know, like those animal humanoid kind of creatures. It's a duplicate recreation of Earth. The high evolutionary has a Statue of Liberty type thing going on for him with a with a chimpanzee on his on his shoulder. Um, everything looks very, you know, you've seen it from the trailers. Like you've every everything looks. They've got cars. They've got houses, streets. Very much Earth. Having watched this now, look, I don't have that deep lore comic knowledge that someone like yourself have. Um, but this just gave me flashbacks to that Spider-Man Unlimited series where he goes to that world, which is that Counter Earth with like the the animal humanoid type creatures. Is that where we are in this movie? Genuine question. <laughs> I I think it is. I, I think that's what that this is. is. I would need to double check because now I think about it. I think High Evolutionary was, was the villain in Spider-Man Unlimited. That is, and I should know because not. <laughs> I mean, maybe last year, the year before. It sounds like comics. We did review it, but it's been a while since I rewatched it or did that review. I think High Evolutionary may be the villain in that. Wow, it's kind of his thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, it's cool and. It's a shame that they kind of destroyed it all. <laughs> yes, as they as they left, it was all it was all done because it would have been cool to kind of keep that planet sort of in existence, just just if in case they wanted to dabble in it at some point down the line in the future. Not saying you know, like send Tom Holland over there to have a, <laughs> have some Spider Man Counter Earth. But we know, though, <laughs> this is not his only experiment. So there's potentially other sure. Counter-Earths. But I did just have a quick look. And yes, Counter-Earth is where Spider-Man went Madness. in Spider-Man. I Unlimited. had a feeling. I had a feeling. I was like, <laughs> animals. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it was called Counter-Earth, but I didn't go to the effort of looking it up because too lazy. But that is mind-blowing. Wow. Okay, cool. So that was counter earth then. Yeah. Uh, any other anything else to say on that, or is that is that that? <laughs> and we get that big action piece. We get the gags. You know, Drax stay with the ship. He knocks the guy off the motorbike. It's in all the trailers. It's in the TV spots. Um, how have we not talked about Nebula, Karen Gillan? What a journey her character has been on. Now, I've said many times on this podcast, I'm a big fan of hers. She should be in everything. She's in this. I'm grateful for it. But you know how I was talking about high evolutionary is a bad guy. That's all he needs to be. There's no nothing redeeming. Don't redeem him down the track. They redeemed her, and I'm happy about that. I mean, where she <laughs> was when the character was first introduced to being a guardian of the galaxy and just having such a good relationship with good as in interesting. Like obviously she gets along with some better than others, but she generally, like especially when it comes to Rocket, they've got a friendship. When was it? Was it the, was it the Christmas special? When did you bring Nebula somebody's arm? 
the Christmas thing, yeah, because it was at the at the end of the Christmas episode. And they've obviously Christmas bonded since then, and he's yeah, the well, one that gave her the arm upgrade. But Nebula as a character, I'm so glad they put it in the ads. A potential flirtation between Quill and Nebula, and he's commenting. He's commenting on the how black her eyes are, and they get a gag out of it. But at the same time, I'm like, because Gamora, she's not the one that was in the first Guardians film. It's whole thing because of Infinity War. She's back from the dead, but she's not the Gamora that the team remember. She doesn't remember mm-hmm. Quill. I'm glad they didn't shoehorn a love. Like a, a new relationship yeah, between I mean, Quill and Nebula. That I, I feel like that probably would have. Yeah, because I think at the forefront, look, there's there's so much there. There's so much there. Because going off like, the ads, mentioned... it could have happened based on the ads, but you can't always trust the ads. I'll get into my thoughts there. All right, so with Nebula, yeah, you're like, what a journey we've been on. From that second film, we were already starting to see a bit of a, you know, the different shades to it, which was great. And then if you think about her time, you know, following Infinity War, her time then five years on Earth, you know, like I have to acknowledge that happened very close to Rocket, the, you know, the time she spent with, oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, the time she spent with, you know, Tony Stark and all that, like in space. What a journey. And then, yeah, to have her just sort of develop into like this heroic character, yet still have such like sassy attitude true <laughs> to her character. I feel yes. like we haven't lost her, but there's something different there. But and then the whole dynamic with her and her sister, um, you know, the Gamora that we know, dead, gone. This is one, this is a Gamora that's out of time, one from the past, now here, very confusing. Doesn't have those memories of anything that's happened since like, prior to that that first Guardians film. So there's that whole conflict between her and, um, you know, uh, and Quill, between her and Nebula. It's, it's, it's messed up. And then there's just these nice little moments, like when, especially when the film opens, where you've got, you know, Peter sort of doing, I will bounce around his three different names. Um, well, you know, like when he, he's passed out, he's drunk and, I, I don't know, there was, and I think it was because of the thing from the ad that triggered it, but I'm thinking, I'm like, I almost start to get the feeling that she might have some sort of feelings for him, but doesn't know how to process it, doesn't know how to explore that, or isn't willing to go that deep into, you know, becoming someone who she's not, because she's very much like still that very strong, you know, like just intense, scary being that she doesn't want to get into anything like that and then the movie doesn't obviously delve into that to any sort of level but I still think there is some sort of because obviously they're close and I guess like anytime you have a group of people that work so closely together spend so much time I mean there's always going to be those things where it's like oh look there are feelings that you don't quite understand it doesn't necessarily have to turn into something but you, you know there's often times where it's like there's something there so I reckon there was enough hinting and I like that. And I like that they then didn't yeah. explore it. And then even on top of that, even with the the Peter and Gamora relationship, like what they're doing here is, you know, they've got Peter sort of trying to convince her essentially that it's like, you know, I'm great, you know, like, come, you know, we had a great thing. It was wonderful. And it's like, no, I'm not your Gamora, that whole dynamic. And then, you know, 
a traditional movie you would expect you know we talked about like very predictable stuff what's going to happen you'd think by the end of this movie they're making out and she's seeing the light and she's like no i'm willing to you know be all that kind of doesn't happen nice touching moment at the very end where she's just like i you know i, I bet we were fun or we must have been fun or something like that and it's like we were or again whatever he said that was the right like, yeah, yeah that was the right choice yeah but then they part ways how i feel about her sort of kind of like oh the ravages are my family and then you know there's a bit of a moment at the end where it's like oh look they're really happy and it's nice but it's like ah, we didn't really see any of that to sort of earn that but sure like it's how the movie ended it said it, it works i i just like the fact that they didn't bring them back together and then it yeah, allowed no, me, me too. Peter to and obviously go on his own journey. And yeah, and gave him more reason to go back to Earth because if Gamora was back in his life, he wouldn't have gone back to find his grandfather. He just stayed with the Guardians and, you know, a few of them were going to go their separate ways. With Gamora and Nebula, because it's like, you know, Gamora has reverted back to how she used to be, you know, the whole... Anyway, that whole thing. But Nebula... Again, like she's grown so much, but I really like that moment where all was said and done and they were leaving each other and they just nodded and grunted each other in passing. Yeah. I thought that was excellent. <laughs> that was it just sums up. Yeah, it sums it was, up there. That was that was really good. You know, in the beginning where you probably know this already, when when Nebula is carrying Peter and he's he's wasted, like he's been in the He's drunk yeah. and she's carrying. Kind of, you're gonna say that it's a dummy. It's <laughs> it's a Chris Pratt dummy that James Gunn apparently kept in his office. Like so, people would go yeah. into his office and they'd put him in different I've seen, poses. <laughs> I've seen some behind the scenes things of them sort of like like interacting with it and just checking yeah. it out. And obviously, like, <laughs> like there's Chris Pratt standing there being like, "This is horrifying." Like, this yeah. Is- <laughs> this, this is surreal don't know how to process it there's even a bit where it's like you, you can see like they've got a mechanism thing to make it breathe and it's just but it, i just I, I love it like so much because could that not have just been chris pratt maybe suspended on some wires cg them out and just have it look as though gamora not gamora just have it said nebula is carrying him no, 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 no they're not going to do it that way like again, just going back to the the amount of prosthetics used in this, like building the sets and not just relying too heavily on CG backgrounds. Yeah, I love. It's like, no, we all can do it this way. Oh, just just on that, like you know, the trailer. Like it's there's one snippet that's got. It's obviously got that shot of them walking, and I guess the giveaway is that you've got rockets sipping on a on a drink, but it's got them walking, and the you know there's the lifeless, you know. Peter Quill in Nebula's arms is that implying that it's like, oh man, he must have a bit of a bad outcome or a dramatic thing. And it's an opening scene, he's just wasted. He's just drunk. Like, he's just drunk. Like, oh, okay. And again, the giveaway is Rocket Bloody drinking his drink because obviously he would have been a little bit more distressed. Do you know sure what? Actually, that on that, let's bloody give him his full name because this film finally allows him to be. Rocket Raccoon. The whole thing. Oh, like, yeah. All these are not, not a raccoon. In the comics, the full name of the character, Rocket Raccoon, is at a solo comic series. 
Rocket Raccoon. That's just the name of the comic, the character. But he's always like pushed. I'm I'm not a raccoon. Like, what are you talking about? That's not what I am. And it turns out he is. And we've had that joke with Thor calling him different and like rabbit and just calling him different animals. It happens again in this, but for him to finally say, I'm Rocket Raccoon, I was like, Yes. Yeah. Finally. (laughs) And at the moment of I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot the shit out of the high evolutionary. I'm gonna I'm gonna get that done. Um just going back to like Nebula and 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 Peter, I won't dwell on this for too long, but the F bomb. This movie, the you know, like could it be the first? I don't think it's the first MCU because we've got. I'm pretty like, sure it is. You know, like, no, I'm pretty sure it's the. At least in the movies, it is right. Oh, I don't want to do it on TV. No, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go as far as saying that it is. It's the first proper F bomb. Whereas there's no cutscene, there's no sound effects to muffle it. This is the first. The credits true... don't just start playing. <laughs> it's the first true F bomb. Thirty-two films. And... We've made it. And do you know what? <laughs> I feel like this was not a moment where it's like, ah, oh, they just forced that, or it didn't feel natural, or something. In the moment, the interaction with between Chris Pratt, Karen Gillan, you know, Nebula trying to open the door to this, like, to this. You know, cars used to be where it's like you've got to press the button and pull the like it's a compl- overly complex thing for no bloody reason. And I, I don't know. It's just what does he say? It's just like just open the effing door. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, with with the it works. Yes, yeah, it, it, it doesn't. It does. it, I mean, you know, we review the DC animated movies and they really want to do whatever it takes to get that M rating or PG 13 <laughs> in the U S and they'll, you know, drop a swear word just to, just to get it. There's been so many complaints against this movie specifically by parents. And it's because, you know, the animal cruelty, bad language. <laughs> I mean, the F bomb, but the thing is though, I think parents have just like, we just forgot like, what a PG 13 actually is. Or here in Australia, what an M actually is. That yes, if you're a responsible parent or guardian, then you know you can take a kid to these films. But it's not a G-rated movie. Like it's still, you know, it's essentially you know teen upwards. So you can yeah. take younger kids to well, watch I mean, it, but it's your responsibility. But I just feel like. People are just getting complacent with the ratings. Like it's, you know, it's a Marvel movie. It's just going to be, you know, action. I think and people are jokes. still. I mean, there is still, you know, like we've got the Disney banner, and not like Disney is planted all over posters and on the trails and stuff. But people, maybe I'm speaking for everyone, and I shouldn't be, but I think a lot of people do know that it's like, look, these Marvel Studios films fall under the. The, the Disney banner, like they're on Disney Plus, the mouse is attached to a safe zone, even though they're a little bit more adult orientated. They're like, you know, overall, at least so far, track record. And that's why when we do get to something like Deadpool down the line, it will get kind of complicated. I know, but what or you've just said there, though, or whatever, you know, like Disney, it's not what it was. Like, I mean, come on, like anybody, yeah. anybody with a Disney Plus subscription that spent more than five minutes scrolling, we'll see it's not all Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. There's so much more 
going on that Pam and Tommy, for example, Disney Plus. Check it out. Well, I mean, we're talking, we're talking from the we're talking from a a region outside of the United States. So <laughs> Pam and Tommy is not on Disney Plus. The, the thing US. is, I mean, it's Hulu, but Hulu is due to be rolling into Disney Plus. It's absorbing well, it, so it's all it. just going to be anyway, one so thing. And yeah, you know, so. But the point being, though, parents complaining. Parents complaining against you know some of the things that are seen or heard in this movie, and it's like you're taking kids to a film that isn't necessarily. It's not a kids' film. It's a mm-hmm. film with characters that first appeared in comic books you've got yes marvel banner but at the same time it's not league of super pets like it's you know it's a different thing like gone are the days of you know star lord waking up with a you know like a blue alien or something or you know tony stark or you know Stephen Strange having a three. Did that happen, or is that? Did I make up? Did Stephen Strange have a threesome at some point? <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't remember that. I saw a thing with Ryan Reynolds <laughs> online. I, I don't know. I can't remember that. I saw a thing with Ryan Reynolds online. It may have been around Deadpool two, and he was kind of a little taken back by this kid saying Deadpool's my favorite Marvel film. And he's like, like, oh, really? Who's letting you watch that? <laughs> Who are your parents? I'm writing them a letter. Um, <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll we'll move on, move on a bit. Um, all right, Adam Warlock, end of Guardians, uh, Guns of the Galaxy Volume Two, post credit scene. You know, big hint at you know Adam. They've got his you know cocoon thing. He's about to be born. You know, he's a he's a fairly major player in the Marvel comics. Very powerful man. He's coming. Whoa, he's going to be a big threat. Get him in this movie. He's a baby. He's, he's literally a because baby. He wa- because um, he wasn't ready. You know, if you go back to the first Guardians film, because if you look at early Marvel films, they show things too early and then they just ignore it. Like if you watch, I think it was the first yeah. Thor film, you see the Infinity Gauntlet. Anyway, he's on Asgard. And then they just right. pretended that never happened. There, when no, you see... Oh, that's right. They Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, what about this then? In the first... Guardians film, and you've got the collector. You see Adam Warlock's cocoon there because that was supposed to be right. like, setting him up, alluding to that character. Yeah, yeah. And then they redid um, the tease for his origin or that he was coming in the second film because he was going to be in volume two, but Gunn just thought already too many characters. So they saved him. But yeah, but the reason why he's acting young is because he wasn't ready. They activated him too early. You know, like when when Will Poulter was announced as his character, and it was sort of like, like, oh, what a very odd choice. You know, going by the types of roles that he's done, the sort of personality that he, he generally projects anyway. Um, but then we started seeing photos of him like real buff, and you're like, wow, he looks so different. It's gonna be, oh, maybe he can pull off this like really powerful thing. When watching this movie, I'm like, no, this is Will Poulter that we're very familiar with. This, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's 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 played, you know, like. I mean, at first, very intense, very, you know, he basically takes out Rocket. Like, that whole first sequence, I'm like, oh, shit, this guy's pretty formidable. Like, he is, like, kicking some ass here. When we then see him for the remainder of the film, it's very much like, oh, he's a, he's a you know, he's a bit of a goofball. He's yeah. not quite there. He's still there. It's all good. Um, and that really fit with, again, what we've sort of expected from, from Wilbur. 
again, not in a not in a bad way, but it's just like, oh, okay, now I see why Will Poulter was the right choice because works really much. well. But you're He's right well. though. He has got in shape. He is in shape in in this film. But I mean, he does. He's painted gold, but he does have the look. Like he looks great, you know, in in the costume and you know as the character. And yeah, it's really not what I thought he he was going to be, but a good addition because you know we do get in that post credit scene. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but. You see him suited up with the new Guardians, which I thought was, you know, pretty cool. So, I mean, this could be the end of Guardians. We could see characters appear separately in different films, whether it's the legendary Star-Lord. But it it was good that they kind of showed us that if there is a future for these characters, this is what it could look like. Yeah, and I meant, you know, it reminds me of like the end of... What was it Age of Ultron, where it's like this is your new Avengers team, and then it's like cool, and then we never kind of saw that version of the Avengers I know, team. But it was like I was never really that excited about that line. No, if I'm honest, it, do you know what I mean? It was like, where is the characters that we get to see here? We, like, what I mean, interesting. <laughs> I mean, there's that there's that girl that from the you know like the new life form people. Like yes, just that one the, out of all of them. Yeah, just yeah, just one of the what was it? The bleep? What what is it? They kept or beep? What do they keep saying? <laughs> bleep bleep? Was that what they were saying? But anyway, in the mid credit scene, the new guardians consist of Rocket, a fully grown Groot, Cosmo, Craglin, Adam, uh, Fila, Fila. Maybe she's the young girl and Blur. Like, uh, yeah. And oh, they're what? shown. Undergoing a new mission on Crylaw. That was pretty cool. We've not really talked about Groot early in the film. And, and oh, he God, was like ta- oh, he was taken down by Adam Warlock. And at the time oh, of like and he ends up being just like a head and his head like crawls away. And I'm like, what is what is going oh, on God. here? I saw you, you I know- saw somebody make a comment online like saying that like, is it just me or over time? Is Groot looking more and more like Vin Diesel? And I'm like, maybe. <laughs> I kind of see it. I'm just going to sideline that for a sec. You know how Will Poulter, right, especially when he was younger, people would make comparisons to Sid from Toy Story, how like he kind of looked like him. And oh, like yeah, even, yeah. Like dressed as him for Halloween. All right, so Will Poulter playing Adam, who pretty much destroyed Groot in that first opening scene, reduced Groot to just a head with like <laughs> spider legs. I mean, is that not that doll head spider yes. thing from Toy Story. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, everything comes full circle. <laughs> yeah. That, was... that horrific. That I mean, we're talking animals getting shot and stuff. Like, no, Groot's head with the spot. That was weird. <laughs> I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, but it, it grew up on it. But yeah, but in that, um, yeah, in the mid credit scene, yeah, he's much bigger than how we'd seen him yeah. in the majority of the film. Oh, did, I mean. Did you pick up on this, a... right? Because I, I kind of... I don't know if I did, if I'm honest, but then I read what James Gunn had said about the moment and then it all clicked and it made it better for me. So, you know, throughout the whole thing, like, I am Groot. That's his thing. And Gamora's like, you can't actually understand him, can you? You know, at the end, and he says, what does he say? Something like, I love you guys. I love you guys. I love you guys. Well, this is what Gunn has had to say about that line. 
This is not Groot speaking normal words on screen for the first time, but instead the audience finally understanding what Groot is actually saying. And I'm like, I love that. I absolutely love that. And just that alone makes me want to watch it a second time. To experience that again, it's like, just like Gamora did when she heard him for the first time in the film, but as an audience, that's us hearing him. I thought, that is beautiful. That's it, because, I mean, you know, when you go back to that first film, when we've got these characters and they're interacting with him, they can't understand him. Um, I think, like, you know, like, Rocket's obviously the, the closest one to him, like, so he can understand he's the sort of the translator. Eventually, you get to the second film, it's like they can all understand him they, because they've got that bond and they've, they've grown with him all, and especially because it's the fact that it's, you know, it's like the son of the group from that first, and it's all thing. Anyway, um. But yeah, that's it. You get that Gamora that has no relationship with him. She doesn't know what he's saying. She just literally thinks that he's saying the same thing. Just as I am Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers, Captain America, he, you know, he, the same thing. Met him for the first time, only heard I am Groot. And that's what we've been hearing this whole time. We get to the end of this movie and we can now understand him. It's us no. that can understand him. Not How the that is beautiful. Is that? I've got to be honest. He, did you get that when you watched it? Did you understand that, that what that's what Gordon was trying this is to what get happened. across? This is what happened to me. Okay, so that scene's playing. He then speaks, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then sort of about like five seconds later, I had this thought. I'm like, like I was like, what is he doing? And maybe it is something about understanding you know sort of like when subtitles go away and that's like oh we're meant to be interpreting it and i was like maybe that's what it is and then i read that thing and i was like oh damn cool nice so it all kind of worked out but it did take me a couple a couple minutes i think i said four seconds it was more like four minutes i like how in saying that after the fact you just dropped an f-bomb i did accidentally for the because that's mcu film (laughs) To have its first f bomb. <laughs> I've just I mean, look, two films. <laughs> hey, if you're going to edit this, you could have bleeped that out. I'm saying we we do not need it's to staying. have me. Have me <laughs> it's staying. <laughs> it, it it helps paint a picture. It was, it was your experience. <laughs> that was the true moment that I that I spoke those words in the cinema very quietly, of course, because I'm a polite son of a bitch. But um, that was that. But look, the other the other post credit scene, very quiet, simple moment peter quill on earth with his grandfather yeah and like you said those words styles will return so i think if we look at where what happens there, i think maybe they're just locking him in being like oh look we've got plans for we've got plans for chris pratt what plans for chris pratt he's on earth for a later day can interact with whatever version of the avengers we eventually get kang dynasty all that kind of stuff he can interact with all of that without overstuffing it with oh, we've got to bring all the guardians with us it can just be star lord doing his thing maybe somewhere down the line we see the whatever interpretation of the guardians we have at some point i mean obviously like you know mantis is is doing her thing somewhere but she's still around she's still out there in space so maybe we'll see her interacting with like i don't know you know thor again or some other kind of cosmic thing, you know, if we do get Eternals 2, when they're flying around, maybe 
we'll have some crossover. Like, so there's, there's space for these characters to pop up, even if we don't get a James Gunn written, directed. Well, we won't. I, I really believe we won't. But yes, no, these characters can appear elsewhere. You know, with the post credit scene, like, some are better than others. It is what it is. It's him with his grandfather. It's, you know, he's sat eating cereal. Like, I talking don't even about know a family member. Yeah. Well, they talk about a family member. Anything? Well, they just talk about a family member that's lazy and isn't reaching their potential. And anyway, sure. but the thing, but in my screening, it was very, because you know, again, like some post credit scenes are better than others. There was a few moans and groans when everybody oh, realized. Like this is what they waited for. Chris Pratt slurping cereal. <laughs> well, you the know, slurps did, the slurps did carry on, didn't it? They did. Which was great. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, look, I mean, I think we've probably missed a few things. I mean, uh, just last things to mention. I mean, Sylvester Stallone's back briefly. Elizabeth Michael comes back as the year show. Michael Rosenbaum, he's back yes. as well. Yes. Um, you know, something people have been talking about online, they've replaced uh Miley Cyrus's voice with um Tara Strong for whatever that character is. I don't is. even know where that is, <laughs> I don't know what well, it, character it's in that group, it's in like Sylvester right. Stallone's group with like, oh, okay. Michael Rosenberg and stuff. It's that crew, so look, we but get you know like, those characters back and stuff. Tara Strong, she's a prolific voice actor, yes. Give it to Tara I mean, she was, anyway. She was Miley Smith. Cyrus. Yeah, in, in Loki. Miley Cyrus, like, she's doing okay for herself. She doesn't know. I mean, she didn't. Yeah. People have people been saying, like, oh, they're a place. Like, wait, where was she? Like, nobody knows. Unless you know. It's all good. Um, I just want to shout out, like, we mentioned Cosmo, voiced by Maria Bakalova. You know, that girl from, like, that Borat? second Borat movie? Yeah. Yeah. And, the, she was in that, what was that movie called? That Jurassic World Dominion kind of oh, right. thing. Oh, right. Okay. The, um, Shadow Patel movie. Oh, what yes. What, no, what I was really enjoyed the, it? Everyone hated it. The Bubble. The I liked bubble. it as well. <laughs> or more recently, she was in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. That is a good film. Oh. I enjoyed that. She's in that as well. On Cosmo, though, in the comic, Cosmo, male, movie, female. And that is a tribute to Laika, the Russian dog, one of the first animals in space. There you go. Oh, nice one. Yeah, I like how we still have trivia, even though we don't actually like, address <laughs> I mean, it. And make the, it the thing is that we're getting to the point where we're going to close out the review and, and we're going to stop the podcast. But in reality, we could just keep going. We could just keep going. There's always more things oh, we can say. But let's um let's just say say one final thing in summary, and that would be our rating for the movie. So if you were to give this a, a number out of five, what would it be? It is a hard one to be honest. Um, I don't even think I've given an MCU film a five out of five. I mean, it's I'm not saying this is that first five out of five, but it is very high. But I mean. You didn't like the fact that High Evolutionary shouted. I didn't really notice that. So that's obviously <laughs> going to be a ding for you. For me, music taking me out of it, but just because I know and like certain songs, I'm like, oh, cool, this is a good song. But that's, you know, <laughs> it's not affecting the quality of the movie. Ah, oh, it's, 
It it is it is very good. When we first meet the Otter and Rocky's other friends, there was like a moment where I'm like, oh, this is a lot of talking animals. And and this is a series of films that started with a talking raccoon and a walking talking tree. Oh, ridiculous. But still, it was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, just getting your head around it and Oh, I, I'm going to come in at a very, very high 4.5 out of 5. I really did have a good time with this, and it absolutely is one of the best MCU films we've had in a very long time. And James Gunn, like, he's done it again. He absolutely has done it again. Three films, one Christmas special. Yeah, 4.5 out of 5. What about yourself? I mean, look, we've obviously just sat here and spoke lengthy for a lengthy amount of time about this movie. And look, yeah, what did I say negative about this movie? Yeah, the high revolutionary, revolutionary, the high evolutionary probably screamed just a little bit too much. I think they could have done a few different things there. Maybe the way they structured like how the 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 flashbacks sort of played out might have, I think, might have might be my only criticism with like the way the story sort of the story unfolded and how we learned certain things and when something could have been a little bit more impactful um even though like i'm look i'm overall glad that you know all the characters survived and stuff because i you know love them all sort of thing i think maybe we really could have pushed and have been like let's kill one or two like actually make some decisions there and 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 have some real like wow we're really facing someone even just to elevate the villain even further to be like no this man really means business and now we've got some real like now it's personal i know he took Grant rocket but now it's even more personal so it's something like like so just on those on those things just and then maybe how certain things ended at the very end i'm not sure if i have a better idea of how things could have gone but maybe they could have done something different but again the movie is what it is but that doesn't take away anything by the fact that I got to this movie and again that feeling of when this wrapped up I was just like damn I'm really gonna miss these guys I know I'll see them again but just like there was a satisfying conclusion yet also a bittersweet sort of like oh you know a bit a bit of deflation because it's like I'll miss them but I'm gonna meet you exactly where you are 4.5 which is a very high MCU rating especially in the past three years <laughs> i would say very yeah. very high so yeah um this was a good one i feel like we had a we had a good time <laughs> didn't we but that's it for our review of guardians of the galaxy volume three if you haven't already check it out other shows rewind and review Yes, they're back, which is great, <laughs> and sounds like comics, churning them out as always. I shouldn't use the word churning. Each of those shows also have their own Facebook pages. If you missed it, be sure to check out our recent reviews of Tetris and Ghosted, and stay tuned for our upcoming review of I Want to Say Air, which is coming soon, or it could be Fast X. One of those two will be our next one. Cool. <laughs> You've been, we'll do some planning. You've been listening to Jason. Well, we're reviewing both. I just don't know the release order. Anyway, and you've been listening to Luke. 
<laughs> we're the guys from that film studio we'll be more organized next time we promise see you soon <laughs>